0: Hello everyone, I'm Master B and welcome to Today in Tech episode 19. This episode was recorded on February 27th, 2010. And today I have an interview with Sigflop. Enjoy
1: My only purpose is to bring Santa Claus back to Mars. Santa Claus back to Mars. All this trouble from that little man and
0: welcome to TIT Radio.
1: Oh, hi, everyone. How's it going?
0: Good. Um, you have a Hacker Public Radio series called Demo or Bust. Uh, yes, I do. Demo or Bust seems like it's geared t- towards someone that's already part of the demo scene. Could you explain to me and the TIT listeners what a demo is?
1: Um, yeah, yeah, most certainly. And uh, I, of course, am by no means am authoring myself as, like, a... a uh, a bona fide member of the demo scene, if that makes sense. But uh, a demo typically is a program that has no interaction, that uh, does some sort of audio or visual presentation, and uh, that's, that's about it. Like um, It's kind of a community of sorts, and uh, a lot of people like to run demos on various platforms, and it's kind of a challenge. Can we get something running? Can we get this effect going on a Commodore 64 or something like that? and uh, it's quite a lot of fun. Friendship and creativity, those are the two, two primary forces in the demo scene, as far as I understand.
0: So so when it comes to hardware and equipment, you can use, use anything you want?
1: Anything that runs programs. I mean, there's a whole, like, uh, mind you, again, like, I, I don't want to place myself as in a very authoritative, um, I don't want to place myself in an authoritative voice when it comes to the demo scene, because I'm relatively new to it myself. But uh, usually... This goes along with parties, and usually they're competitions, and they have different categories. And these categories maybe are separated by platform or type of demo. And they're usually the wild demo, too. So really anything, anything creative <laughs> is usually smiled upon. But, uh, yeah, the calculators, there's a, my my mate um, uh, wrote a demo for the TI-85 calculator, for instance. Anything from calculators to... High-end GPUs, whatever runs the programs.
0: And then, when you say competition, I mean, how is there like a bunch of people there, judges? How does that work?
1: It's usually judged by the audience, and uh, there is some sort of voting mechanism, and uh, that's usually how it goes. Um, I haven't been to too many parties, but this is this is what I this is what I understand from the parties that I've been to.
0: Now I see Nauticon's going to have a party coming up. Well, Nauticon is like oh. April 15th
1: through 18th. Ah, uh, Let me double check. Are, are you okay? So is that verified? Do you know that it's that? Because I don't know offhand.
0: Here, let me look it up real quick. And that's Nauticon. I'm saying that right, correct? Yeah. Nauticon.org. Not, not not a con.
1: Yeah. 15th through the 18th, my friend. Cleveland, okay. Ohio.
0: 46 more days.
1: Yeah. You're looking at the website. There it is. 26 more days.
0: Now, is that separate from Nauticon or is that like just like a a special event there? So
1: it's the all... the demo competition block party is separate from Nauticon. But but it is there. Like in spirit it it's separate but it's very similar. There's a lot of um cross pollinization uh when it comes to the audience and the participants, all the hackers go to Nauticon and all the demo people go to the Nauticon as well, and then the demo people shine at, at Block Party, and the hackers kind of um, shine at the hacker part. So it's, uh, it's kind of like a sister organization, if that makes sense. So um, my, uh, my friend NRR, for whatever reason, NRR recently uh, held a party in Megfest, which was a, a similar thing called uh, Nuripu. And uh, so Nuripu is a part of MAGFest, as Block Party is part of Nauticon. Everyone should come. Twenty six more days. Get your tickets. So
0: you're <laughs> going to be there, right?
1: I'm going to try to. <laughs> I, I I'm going to try to. Um, that's not, not quite a guarantee. There might be something happening, but, uh, but I'm going to definitely try to. Scott will be there. Radman will be there. Um, the Northern Dragons will be there. Um, I believe Black Pawn is going. So he's a, a senior from from uh, from Seattle. He'll be there and. I don't know, just the American scene Phoenix, Trickster, all those people will be there.
0: So, is it mainly just like people like into the competition there, or is there like people just walking around taking a look at everybody's demos, or is it pretty much everyone there is actually competing or they have something to show?
1: I wouldn't homogenize everyone, like, it's everyone's doing. Things different some people are working on a production there's a usually there's like a break room and everyone sets up their computers there and uh people want to enter usually work on a production there and uh oh, we have found a lot of people um do it the day of <laughs> so there's a lot of party coding there's a lot of party tracking and uh putting together productions during the party some people are looking around like it's a it's a mass of people so and you can't really say it, what anyone is doing doing at the same time um it's interesting, though. Like, uh, the Linux community, I mean, Linux is becoming very practical. Well, it's not. It's, it's practical more so than it was in 1991, say, or even in 96. And, uh, but, you know, the, the geeky sort of computers for the sake of computers running Linux, albeit maybe unpractical, but still doing it anyway, uh, I think mirrors the demo scene spirits of let's produce something cool, it has no real purpose, but it's cool anyway. And uh, so there's a there's a a lot of shared energy between uh, the more hacker scene, not a con, and the more demo scene-oriented non-block party.
0: Yeah, because to me, looking at the screenshots of, of, you know, of the party, it kind of looks just like a bunch of people getting together playing music because I had no idea all this was going on. I mean, there's a lot of coding involved, and you have to have some kind of... I don't know some kind of knack for graphics, and I mean, not anybody could just buy some computers and think they're going to jump right into this. This takes a lot well, of skills, doesn't it?
1: Uh, well, you <laughs> I hate to say this, but some of the some of the entries have been have been uh, pretty. I don't want to say crap, because they're interesting. Like, uh, whatever, any level of skill you can. You draw whatever, like the graphics competition. If you could draw something with a mouse, you should enter. If you can do anything, you have to start somewhere, right? So um, there's a, I don't know, it seems like the, the more popular productions are the the ones that are uh, uh, more well done. There's a, uh, there's, uh, for instance, there is, to every Farbrush there is, Farbrush being this European uh, demo group that has really good productions and has developed some really good tools. For every beautiful Farbrush production, there are... <laughs> hundreds of uh other sort of minimal productions but you got to start someone some of them are very charming and some of them are, are very cute so it's not all about skill it's about uh whatever you, it's about whatever energy you want to put into it and also about skill <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, about a about a lot of different things did you did you want to do you want to go anywhere aside from the demo scene or did you want to talk specifically about that
0: one more question about the demo scene. Yeah. Like, if, if I walked into the demo party and walked up to your table or area, I mean, what would I see on your table?
1: On my table or someone else's table?
0: Your table, say. I mean, what kind on of, my, like, equipment do you bring? or? I what... usually
1: bring my laptop. That's about it. Like, there really isn't too much else that I can carry. So, like, for me, like, if you came last year, you probably would have seen me working on Psychogenesis code and uh, drawing a little bit. if you go to other people's tables, maybe you'll see them tracking. There's a, it seems there's a big, pretty big tracker crowd there. And, uh, so you'll see a lot of that. See people doing whatever they, doing whatever they do. <laughs> so, uh, people using whatever tools, uh, albeit their own or others, uh, that, uh, make interesting productions.
0: So the Sega Genesis, you like to heck on that? I mean, is there other things you do with it? Besides, uh, make demos?
1: Um, no, no, not really like uh i've noticed that in my own personal life i uh need to learn more discipline and uh i found that i will stick to something for maybe a few months and the psychogenesis i kind of like oh well i don't know too much about the psychogenesis that sounds interesting i'll learn about the psychogenesis for for a little under a half a year and uh wrote a library um to facilitate programming on it, and uh, a spread editor as well as a patch editor for the sound chip that's in it, one of the sound chips that's in it, and uh, did a panel on it as well. Let me get you the URL to the panel if you ever want to watch it.
0: All right. I'll put that in the show notes, too. All
1: right. Yeah, I'll paste it in the, uh, the IC room once I get over to what the URL actually is. You can see my greasy face. I was very <laughs> greasy during that presentation, but the... That's beside the point. All right. That's a rather long URL. Hopefully, you can see that.
0: I got it. I'll put that in the show notes. I'll have to watch it later once we get off the call.
1: All right. Cool beans. N- mind you that I I tend to switch a lot of terms. I've noticed that I, I tend to not think what I say, <laughs> and so <laughs> like I I think I said Nintendo a couple times instead of the Sega Genesis and vice versa. And sometimes I say bits instead of bytes. But if you think about it, like it'll probably hopefully come to you what I mean. But uh. there. The Sega Genesis is, uh, is an interesting, it's a real interesting system as far as systems are concerned. I mean, I, I said the same thing about the Nintendo uh, when I was doing Nintendo stuff, but uh, I think for every system, I think it's interesting. But the Sega Genesis is, is uh, one that I kind of grew up with, or at least my friend grew up with, and I would go over and watch them play video games, right? But uh, uh, the Nintendo, not so much. didn't have a Nintendo, but I had a Sega Genesis.
0: No, um, the Sega, the one, with, does that have a CD, or is that a cartridge?
1: I uh, had both. By just a Sega Genesis. You have a cartridge, then you have a Sega CD if you want, and that would be a an CD extension. Um, the uh, th- there was one for the the Super Nintendo as well, but uh, it was I don't think it was marketed very well. But uh, it still, it's, uh, the systems were different back then, like the the video game systems. There were no frame. There wasn't a frame buffer or anything like that. There was a um, because the the hardware was limited on memory for video memory, albeit the Sega Genesis had enough video memory for a frame buffer, but that wasn't the mindset at the time. Um, The hardware before that was limited by memory, where you you can't store pixels, so you have to store some representation of pixels. Typically, these are sprites and whatnot, so you can have maybe 32 by 32 sprites on the screen, and then store 8 by 8 sprites, maybe 100 of them somewhere else, and you reduce the amount of memory that you need to draw something, albeit... It can't be, the complexity of it is not um, so complex that you can have per pixel, sort of. It can't be per, it's like, I don't know, it can't, you can't have, it's so complex that you can have a randomness per pixel, if that makes sense. But, uh, the same thing with the, same thing with the Nintendo. The Nintendo, of course, used sprites, and uh, it seems like we go through these paradigms right now. It was sprites before, right now we're kind of uh, in the sort of rasterization of triangles paradigm and GPU paradigm. Where this will go from, from here, I don't know. Maybe real-time ray tracing is a paradigm or something like that for, for graphics. I don't know, you can do all sorts of, all sorts of neat tricks. You can, uh, it had a horizontal scrolls and vertical scrolls and uh, a couple of back planes and a sprite plane and a a window and, uh, and whatnot. A programmable interrupt per horizontal line, which is very nice. And, uh, and stuff like that. I've um, been thinking about writing an emulator for the the Sega Genesis. I wrote one for the, the the Nintendo, and that was quite a lot of fun. And uh, maybe I'll pick that up again and uh, do one for the Sega Genesis.
0: We'll see. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. I mean, how do you how do you dump a ROM from from a cartridge?
1: Um, well, okay, so I don't have any hardware for the Sega Genesis to dump ROMs, but. Uh, uh, because I don't have any um, programmer anymore. But uh, I'll tell you how it was for the Nintendo. I think, actually, maybe all Duck Hunt is for me <laughs> on ROM. Like, there was no .dot Hunt, and then there's Duck Hunt, because I dumped Duck Hunt, and maybe this is for me. I'm not entirely sure. But anyway, um, so, like, for the Nintendo, what I did was you'd open up the cartridge on the Nintendo, and there'd be two chips, two ROM chips. They'd be 8-bit chips. Which is perfect because I have this EPROM programmer, and you would stick it in the EPROM programmer, and uh, that had a serial connection to a computer, and then you can dump out what's in the dump out what's in the ROM. Or you could uh, make a, a connector for the edge of the cartridge, and so you don't have to take of the cartridge, and do it that way. Mm-hmm. These cartridges essentially are ROM in the, seg- in the Sega Genesis. It's more likely ROM than ROM and something else. In the Nintendo. It, most of the cartridges are ROM, but they also have what are called mapper chips, uh, which makes it a little bit more difficult to figure out how to dump um, what you should dump uh, from from the wrong chips. But uh, it's just a matter of reading the chips, right? I mean, theoretically, you could. Um, hmm, I don't know. I don't know if you could actually do this, but maybe you can boot off a flash ROM from off your motherboard. <laughs> and then going into your operating system, and hopefully you won't be utilizing anything from your Flash ROM, and maybe you could just replace that with the ROM from, from uh, your game system and read the ROM that way. Like, that might be the cheapest way to do it, albeit, I don't know, it would have to be pin-compatible to Flash ROM to ROMs, but there are a lot of Flash ROMs that are pin-compatible, so maybe you can make an adapter or something like
0: that. Very interesting. Um, when, when you made the Nintendo emulator... I mean, did you pretty much tear the hardware apart and see how it worked first, or?
1: Um, no, 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 no. I uh, I talked to this person, this Russian person who, who has made a whole lot of emulators. I'm really um, impressed by the work he's done. With the, he's written emulators for the Game Boy, the MSX, the Nintendo, of course, the Game Gear, and, and so on and so forth. And uh, so I talked to him, and he wrote a doc called uh doc, which um, is a more or less basic. Of Nintendo. Okay, so this is, uh, for anyone who's writing emulators, this is uh, kind of a suggestion. This is how I first... Maybe you want to purchase something, but the, what I did immediately was try to emulate the processor, um, and, which was very fortunate because this person, uh, Merit, uh, who wrote these emulators, also wrote a couple of processor emulators, one for the Z80, one for the 6502. And the 6502 what's, is what's in the Nintendo. So I took his emulator both and uh, I... I just wrote something to emulate the ROM, the RAM, and, uh, and saw if I could run uh, uh, Nintendo ROM dumps from it. And it turned out I could. So that so you could see that the actual software is running. And then from there, you further emulate uh, more of the machine. So like the first step, I think the important step for emulating any system is emulating the processor, Because from there, you can verify that the code is actually running. Once the code is running, you can figure out how to uh, do the rest of it. And uh, the documentation for any emulation project that you're going to do probably sucks. And so, if you can write your own ROMs and test it on a real system, this is uh, something that you should do um, because it won't be immediately clear. Like, uh, for instance, the Nintendo is uh, 140. Uh, Was it? I think that's uh, 114 cycles per scanline. That wasn't immediately clear to me, so you might have to run something to test that and uh, and whatnot.
0: That's that's pretty neat. do you, Do you play games on the emulators, or you just pretty much just like to program them?
1: Uh, I just like to program them. <laughs> I only, I only, I only wrote like uh, aside from this paper emulator that I'm writing, writing right now, I only written one emulator, and that was for practice. And uh, I'm kind of like where Like I only do things once. I, I'm very not very good at maintaining things, so my emulator is very old. But uh, I don't really write too many games and play them. I find I don't really have patience for games. It's kind of weird. Um, I don't know. Like, uh, I don't know how you grew up, but I, I grew up watching my friends play video games, I think, a lot more than actually playing them myself. And I think the, uh, that has sort of conditioned me to not actually want to play them, but watch them. <laughs> so.
0: Yeah, I, I really didn't play... Well, we, we, we got a, an Apple II Plus computer, like, in the late 70s.
1: Yeah.
0: And that's where I did most of my gaming. And then probably a few years after that, I got the Atari 2600, which I thought just sucked. I mean, it, <laughs> it, it, the graphics were awful. I mean, even back then, it was just like, ugh. Because I was well, used to playing stuff in the arcade, and then, you know, you play Space Invaders in the arcade, and then you go home and play it on the Atari 2600. It's like, this is awful.
1: Yeah. It was a horrible system. It really was. It, uh, the 2600 is weird, though, because it, it had a... Only one scan line worth of video memory. It had pretty much no video memory, so you had to uh, bang out the pixels as they came, and uh, that programming challenge, I think, made for sucky games. So your Apple IIe, did, you, uh, did you have a motive with that? Did you ever hit up, hit up any of the Apple boards or anything like that?
0: Uh, it was a, an Apple II Plus. I think it was, like, the very first ones, but I'm pretty sure my dad paid, like, $4,000 for this thing back then. Yeah. And it he he ended up getting a modem like 2 years later and I really never messed with the bulletin board services. He pretty much yeah. got on there and once in a while I might have got on there with his account just to download a game or something like that, you know. Yeah. But yeah, we did have the we had the disk drive, uh the modem, and we didn't have a monitor, we just had a TV because you could hook those up to a regular TV.
1: Yeah, as it was for a lot of computers back then. <laughs> I had a let's see here. Well, the first computer we had was a Commodore VIC 20, but that doesn't really count for that for whatever reason. Like I didn't stick to it. But uh as soon as we got our Atari ST, we got a, an Atari 1040 ST. That's when I started getting computers. Fortunately, we had a modem with us. We had a we had a, an Atari 1040 ST and. Uh, uh, it, was a, it was a pretty cool system. It was a pretty cool system. Um, it seems that there is a pretty big Atari ST, or at least there was a pretty big Atari ST gun scene, I didn't know that at the time. Had I known, I probably would have been multiple layers of gun far earlier than I am now.
0: Did the Atari have a disk drive?
1: Oh, yeah, it had a, three and a half, uh, five inch five-inch disk drive. 720K as far as I remember had a 68K so 16-bit processor same processor that is in the Nintendo I'm sorry, in the Sega Genesis same processor that's in the PI-92 and 89 calculators um, same processor that's in a lot of a lot of systems at the time and uh, had a right powerful processor, had a cheap-ass sound chip, but that was okay because the processor was pretty good and you can produce some sound that way had a GUI, the first computer that I have seen with a GUI, not too unlike uh, Mac OS at the time. I imagine. I don't know. was so it's a, it's a pretty full cool computer.
0: And wasn't it backwards compatible with like the old, the older Ataris, or. or um,
1: not the 8-bit Atari computers. Uh, there was no backward compatibility as far as, compat- as, far as I know of, but. Because
0: um, there was uh, like a uh, gaming console after the 2600. I think it was the Atari 5200.
1: Yeah, the Atari fifty two hundred. Um, actually, I just sold one of those. I, I used to have two for whatever reason, That's,
0: uh, but that wasn't compatible with the Atari eight bit computers.
1: I, you know, I actually think it was. I think it used a Pokechip chip and uh, used a lot of the same hardware. I, I forget what Atari computer it is most compatible with, but there's a particular model that is like pretty much just like that. I didn't really didn't really have the Atari computers. I, I don't not too familiar with those, but. Uh, I hear the fifty two hundred was very similar to one of their their computer lines.
0: Then our second home computer was a Commodore sixty four, and it had the disk uh, drive, and it was I mean the disk drive was slow. It, it yeah. could actually take ten minutes to load up a program.
1: It was horrible. We had a yeah I, we we had a Commodore sixty four too, and there's this game that we used to play called Below the Root, and uh, our disk drive we had to hold it together with a with the pliers, <laughs> and oh. so whenever. Whenever we'd switch screens, like, you'd cramp your hand waiting for the screen to change while I loaded the (laughs) disk. It's fun being nostalgic, huh? There's there's a lot of, um, it's uh, amazing how quickly computers change, and uh, the nostalgia of old computers is never lost on anyone who's experienced them because they have changed so much. It's not like, uh, oh, we have this cell phone, and now we have this cell phone. It's like, no, things are completely different.
0: (laughs) But growing up, though, you'd, like, you'd see the system and you're like, how could anything get any better than this?
1: Yeah, yeah, and I remember seeing Doom, and I'm like, oh, my God, it's like I'm watching a movie, holy shit. And now I watch Doom, and it looks horrible. Yeah, it's <laughs> In awful. comparison to real life. But, uh, you ever have, a uh, Doom games or anything like that?
0: Yeah, I think I still have them somewhere.
1: Yeah, um, have you ever, like, got the computers together and played Doom with your friends?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, we used to play well, over the modem, to watch-
1: too. Yeah, you used to do it over the modem? What? What's a, Did you ever play multiplayer games, or was it just the deathmatch between two players?
0: We would just play t- t- like a two-player like team. Mm, okay. Uh, any more than that, it would just slow down too much. You know, you know, over the phone line. I mean, it was pretty reliable over the. I think it was 14.4 k modem.
1: Yeah, it's not much for not much for Doom. Yeah, uh, as far as the data that's sent for Doom. Maybe it's kind of dorky, sort of spitting out random facts, but uh, just kind of as an interesting side note, a lot of the communication that was sent back and forth in Doom, um, if you just played with modems, it was just the controller information. Each computer uh, was playing a multiplayer game, and uh, it was just like you had separate keyboards, right? So,
0: if you ever want to join in on another round table, you know, or join in on a round table, you're more than welcome to, to call in anytime.
1: Oh, yeah, I'll I'll keep that in mind. Um, I think uh, actually uh, Boston Bronx is doing around roundtable table on uh, this uh, sci-fi movie. Should we say goodbye and uh, stop this before we can't hear each other anymore?
0: Yeah, we probably should.
1: Is there anything else that uh, you're interested in hearing about perhaps?
0: Well, I think we covered a lot and we've been talking for over 40 minutes. And the connection's kind of getting okay. kind of crappy right now, so we should probably end <laughs> it before we get disconnected.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know how much... You are hearing this uh, edited audience in the future, but it sounds pretty horrible. But uh, um, So thank you. I appreciate it. And uh, Tit Radio is for life. For All life. Right.
0: Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll talk to you later.
1: All right. You take care. Thanks. Bye-bye.
2: Bye. All right. Another Tit Radio in the can. Uh, This is Terry, once again, from
1: The Juiced Penguin. Um, Two weeks ago, I think it was two weeks ago, that the instant request for a country song went over so well, I'm going to play another one. This is
2: a song by Bradley West called Slow Train. Coming down that freedom track Slow train Coming on down that freedom track Don't need money in your sack Fancy suit on your back Ride the slow train Slow train All got children right children get to ride for free Don't need no stained glass recipe Or a college Ph.D. Ride the slow train Slow train Hop on up while we still can Slow train Hop on board while we still can. Just call on the name of a sinner's only friend. Ride the slow train. Come on, ride, y'all. Sack, fancy suit on your back, ride the slow train, yeah, don't need no degree, theology or fame, ride the slow train.
0: Radio. HPR is sponsored by CARO.net, so head on over to CARO.net for all your hosting needs.